Welcome to the Travel Stories Podcast, where we bring you immersive, inspiring, and international travel stories from travelers around the world. Hey guys, how's it going? Thank you so much to everyone that's reached out to me in the week. Please don't forget, you guys are the reason I do this, and I love to know that I'm managing to keep you entertained and making those commutes, those train rides, and doing the dishes a little more fun. Actually, two minutes ago, I got an email from Trevor Jackson out in California saying, you really do reply to everything. I sure do, Trevor. And good luck on your travels, man. He's going to be heading out to study in South America. So if any of you guys have any tips for studying abroad, send them through and I'll send them your way, Trev. Good luck on that. Anyway, on to today. We're lucky enough to be joined by Shane Dallas, otherwise known as the Travel Camel. Just search Travel Camel. That's hard to say. Travel Camel. There you go. On anywhere and you'll find him. He's one of those guys that goes to all of the places in the world that other people won't. You know the places I mean. And he's an excellent storyteller. Well, you'll find that. The audio is a little flaky for this one, but I thought the content in what Shane is talking about and his story is too good to lose. So I hope you guys understand these things do happen. And this one was recorded a while ago, so there is still a little bit of, I love it and fantastic and all of my key phrases that I have since stopped saying because I was driving myself insane. So let's dive in. You're listening to the Travel Stories Podcast. And this is Shane Dallas. Hi, Shane. How's it going? It is fantastic. Good to speak to you. Awesome. Awesome. It took so much to not say, how are you going? Because as soon as I talk to someone Australian, it just comes out. I can't. I yeah, can't all good day. Yeah, all good day. <laughs> or how are you, mate? And all these things. Yeah. But I haven't been to Australia for more than three years now so those sort of phrases are slowly slipping out of my uh, daily usage yeah i know what you mean well i came to uh, came back to england and i'm still using how you going it just works it kind of rolls off the tongue you know how you going people how are you going that's it yeah but people always miss here and think i'm saying where are you going and it's like a weird question you know (laughs) but yeah it's a fun one so whereabouts in the world are you now Uh, i'm in kenya at the moment kenya and uh, what are you up to there up to there, well, my work is in social media. I do travel photography. Uh, so I'm a social media influencer or specialist, and I also do radio. I do radio in several stations around the world, so guest broadcasts. And also, I am a keynote speaker. So today, it's been a bit working on a, quite a few things because I have a travel fair coming up, and I'm speaking at it. So I'm thinking of, you know, how do I approach this? And, what do I do here and have I got my media pack already <laughs> and all these little things you have to do so when you arrive you're ready and you don't have to focus on that you can focus on the speech you have to deliver instead of getting ready with all the other bits and pieces you want to hand to people mm, yeah that, that's uh, everyone always thinks traveling around and uh, doing working for yourself is kind of easy work but maybe not so much no it's it's very true it's very true it's not easy but I mean it's a fantastic lifestyle but it's not as easy as it appears mm. Mm, absolutely. So the uh, the travel camel—that's your moniker. I like it. <laughs> I love it. It conjures well, up fantastic images. Well, I love camels and I love to travel. And I've actually written under that name for more than a decade. Oh, really? So yeah, it's I've had the travel camel for a very, very long time. I've had a blog originally. I put a blog and travel blog, and that's more than ten years old. Mm. And I even had the travel camel before that. 
So okay. it's been it's been a germ that's followed me around for a very long time, and it just it just made sense once I started to do this full time. I thought, well, the travel camel. Well, it's quite easy. I love travelling and I love camels. Let's put them together, and uh, and it, and it has a nice rhyme. I mean, if I was say writing using the same phrase in German, I, I don't think it would sound quite as nice. But the travel camel in English is just perfect. Yeah, that's true. You can really be the travel armadillo. In fact, no, that sounds amazing. <laughs> the travel armadillo oh that's totally my new name <laughs> oh man so uh you've been to obviously you've been to a lot of countries it's uh over 90 now is that right have you hit the 100 mark yet uh 99 oh nice so the 99 yeah almost <laughs> getting my century nice so have you picked somewhere really nice for the 100 uh not determined as of yet mm, okay have you got anywhere in mind there's a few places in mind. Uh, it could be in the Middle East. It could be something like Iran. It could be something like Morocco. Mm. It could even be Argentina. I've never been to South America, so a new continent would be a nice way for the 100 as well. That's a good idea. I am just not sure at the moment. And as with a lot of these things, the more flexible you are, the more opportunities you get. And I try to keep as flexible as possible. So I don't try to keep myself too far in advance, unless, of course, it's a speaking engagement. If someone says, we'd like you to give this keynote in October, I'll say, yes, I'm there. And that takes priority over everything. Uh, but generally, I, with other opportunities, I try to keep the itinerary or the diary open because it just allows for opportunities to spring out from anywhere which normally happens. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. The The more flexible you can be, the more positions you can be put into. <laughs> That's an analogy right there. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm a fan. So you go to um, you go to a lot of really cool places, places that some people, some people wouldn't go to, some people would not go to very often. Some people are scared of these places. <laughs> what makes you go to, uh, what drives you to go to these places? Well, we better talk about the sort of places I go to. I, I tend to go to places that most people perceive as dangerous because they watch the commercial media far too much. Mm -hmm. And uh, I find these places are more interesting mainly because they are more genuine. Uh, you can immerse yourself a lot more and the welcome is friendlier and it is safer. And destinations I'm talking about, for example, such as Ethiopia, Somaliland, uh, Tajikistan, uh, the Kurdish region of Iraq, Yemen, Syria, Yemen and Syria before the conflict. Syria is my second favorite country behind India out of the 99 I visited. Before the conflict, it was, it was everything you could want in a destination. It had the fantastic people, the culture, the attractions, the food, the transport and the energy. It had everything that I looked for in the destination. And, and to see what's happening now is, it's beyond tragic. It's just awful. And, and it's the saddest thing with some of the places I go to is that they are, can be quite volatile. So when you leave and you see something like Yemen or Sana'a that's fighting in Sana'a or Aleppo, which has virtually been destroyed, the souk area, the market area, I spent many, many hours walking through there, sitting, talking to shopkeepers and you know, smoking shishas <laughs> and doing all this. And it was fantastic. And now that's all gone. And the Kurdish region, Iraq, Kurdistan, you know, when I was there, it was all peaceful. And now it's... You know, it's under siege, but uh, not not too badly under siege. They're kind of repelling the forces that are threatening it there. Mm. So, yeah, it kind of makes it a bit a bit hard when you see that, especially with some of the places I, I travel to. And uh, I, I totally agree with that, where you say that 
it really surprises you in these places or well it, it would surprise you if you're into the mainstream news etc that you go there and the people are so friendly and so welcoming uh, what was the first place uh, that you went to where you might have had some preconceived ideas and uh, and it caught you off guard and you were surprised by how everyone seemed to be a little bit wrong about this place what was the first place Okay, we're going to go back a long time now. 1992, I went to Turkey. Now, Turkey at the moment is quite a popular tourist destination. I can assure you it was not in 1992. But it wasn't It wasn't Turkey itself that was the area that I was warned against. It's when I went to the Kurdish area in the east, the Abakur, Urfa, hmm. and these places. And there were people saying, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't go, it's... It's unsafe, but everything I was reading, and that was pre-internet, so you couldn't go on an internet and check to see if it's place safe. You just had to go what other travellers were telling you that you met. But the indication was it was safe, and I have to say it was – I had a year of travelling. I think that week, that week and a half in the Kurdish region of Turkey, I reckon that was probably the highlight. It was incredible. The hospitality was overwhelming, mm. and I find in the Middle East generally whether it is the – Kurdistan on the Iraqi side or whether it was Syria or Yemen, that sort of hospitality is unmatched almost anywhere else. So India kind of gets a little bit close. India does have some fantastic places of hospitality, but I can tell you Middle East Middle East wins for me for hospitality. Mm. Uh, yeah, I haven't uh, myself been to the Middle East, but I have been to India and I can concur. There was a moment I was walking along the road and, uh, you know, you, you hitchhike everywhere where I was in India and, uh, and I hitchhiked and I said, hey, it's just up there. And uh, they went off the road onto this other road. And I'm like, no, 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 guys, it was uh, it was back there. They said nothing. They <laughs> took took me to these uh, these hills, these mountains, you know, and uh, they said, well, let's uh, let's hang out, you know. Now, to the untrained eye, that looks like a bad situation. But if you know the place and you know the people, you know they just really wanted to hang out. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly right. And and my advice for people going to India is how do you break the barriers of people in India? And there's two ways. The first way is to bring photos of your family and your loved ones because family is very important. So you can say, well, this is my mum, this is my dad, my brother, this is my partner. But the other one is to talk about cricket. Now, even for people, I say, from America and, and the US and Canada, if you, even if you don't like cricket, it doesn't matter. Just say, hey, you know, I, I think cricket's a really interesting sport. And when they ask you who is the best Indian cricketer, you say Sachin Tendulkar. And then everyone is your friend. So that is my advice for anyone traveling to India. Inside information there from Shane Dallas. I love it. So what is The Road Less Traveled? The Road Less Traveled is a Twitter chat that I am one of the founders of. There were three of us. Hmm. And we discussed destinations away from the usual travel routes. And, and we're the only chat that discusses general areas away from North America and Europe. And so we discuss areas such as Africa, Middle East, South America, Central America, Central Asia, uh, Asia generally. And we are the only chat we're amazed. We've been doing this for three weeks. We're on a Tuesday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern time, either daylight time or Eastern time, every Tuesday. We haven't missed a week in almost 120 weeks. And uh, we are now on the top three weekly Twitter chats in the world, which is quite amazing because the other two bigger chats than us 
uh, are very much focused on the US market. So we're now the biggest chat outside of North America oh, wow. and we're the third largest in the world for tweets per week. And it's we did it because we wanted people to explore something different and see something new. And, and as I say again, not listen to the media. Uh, have a look. Think for yourself. Think independently. Read stories and blogs and social media from people who live there or people have visited there. They are your best guide. That's great. Sounds like I'm going to have to get involved. Oh, you do. It's, it's, a, it's, and I'm not just saying it. I'm not just saying it because I'm one of the founders. Mm. It has a beautiful energy and a, and a great inclusiveness. And as long as you're trying to do or want to seek to do something a little bit different with your travel, you are welcome. Awesome. I love it. Inclusive, all the info. That sounds great. Yeah, I'm definitely getting involved. So, on to your story. Now, where does it take place, the story you got for us today? Uh, the story takes place in all the countries I've mentioned before that I traveled to that uh, most people normally don't travel. There was uh, one I missed out, and that is Afghanistan. Righty. Okay, cool. And if you could give this story a name, what name would you give to it? I would give it a warm welcome in a harsh land. I love it. I love it. Okay, fantastic. You are listening to the Travel Stories podcast, and this is Shane Dallas with a warm welcome from a harsh land. One of the most remote regions on Earth is the Wakhan Corridor in Afghanistan. If you have a look at a map of Afghanistan, you'll see a little finger on the top right corner. It has Tajikistan on its north, it has Pakistan on its south, and on its east is China. That is called the Wakhan Corridor. The safest way in is to get in through Tajikistan, which is an effort in itself. But I remember crossing the border. It was the most remote border I've ever crossed. And I was dropped off at the gate and a young guard who looked about 18, <laughs> and he may have been, opened the gate and I wandered through. The sun beat down. The only sound was the footsteps, my footsteps on the metal bridge. I looked to my left and I could see the Hindu Kush in the distance rising to more than 7,000 meters. And there was nothing else around. After I went through the usual formalities of the border on both sides, I finally got into Afghanistan. And before I left, the security, the immigration official decided to serve me a cup of tea. So we stood with our cup of teas for a friendly welcome to Afghanistan, looking at this amazing Hindu Kush in the distance. And then I was in Afghanistan. Now, I was in a little town called Ishkisham. Uh, it has one street with one market, uh, frequent power outages, and you almost see no women. And I was one of the only foreigners in town. And what's really interesting is that most foreigners who go into Afghanistan, especially this region, are there because they work for an NGO. The fact that I was there to be a tourist and learn more about this part of Afghanistan made me a bit of a tourist attraction. Now, this is without a doubt the roughest territory I have ever been in. Uh, the distance we traveled from the first day was about 100 kilometers. We averaged less than 20 kilometers an hour in a four-wheel drive. But the thing that struck me most about this journey were the mountains. Afghanistan is the most beautiful country I've ever seen. And when people talk about mountains, they say, oh, these mountains are pretty, or they look very nice. But the mountains in Afghanistan, they command you to look at them. You cannot avert your gaze. And the people who live beneath the mountains are called the Waki. The Waki 
are always welcoming. Whenever they see you and whenever they saw me, they were fascinated. They thought, you're a tourist? You're a tourist here? They couldn't believe it. And even though I was the last, I was a tourist and I traveled down the Wokken on the last week of May, I was the first foreign tourist they had seen all year. I was accompanied by my guide and translator, a guy named Hamid, who had these piercing blue eyes and short crop brown hair. The furthest point we reached was a town called Sargaz. At the foot of it is a mountain called Mount Baba Tangi, which means the angry father. And the reason they call it the angry father is because of a number of climbers who have been killed trying to reach the peak. And at the end of this day of traveling, Afghanistan is the dustiest place on earth. It gets into everything, gets into the cars, gets in your ears, gets in your camera equipment. You open up this room that has been closed for months because we're the first travel of the season and there's dust everywhere in there too. And just as the sun set, the only people around were these herders who herded goats. And I could see the goats snaking their way down the hill across this little wooden bridge and then past me. And the goats would chew some grass around me and move on and the young guides. And of course, the people who guide these, these goat herders are only boys. This is what they do if they go to school at all. At the end of the day, they help with the, with the goats. And all of a sudden, all that was left was this cool breeze that blew through the valley and a million stars above my head. And it was just this perfect silence and solitude that gives you an absolute awe and appreciation. And again, being the first foreigner of the, of the year, we were in a really isolated place. Uh, the ch infant mortality rates, that is children who die before the age of five in this area, can be up to 40%. That's four zero, 40%. And the reason it is dangerous is not because as most people think there's Taliban or terrorists, it's just so isolated. If you have a medical emergency here, there is no help. There is nothing you can do. So for the people here, Life is a very precious thing. So Hamid and I decided to go off walking to this village of Kisquit. We started walking and didn't see one other car in this half day hike. There's almost no vehicles here, but we did see some other herders. There'd be people stacking up mules with all sorts of equipment, wood and things to carry around with them and grains. And they would see me and they would put their right hand on their heart. That's how they greet them. And then they'd be questioning Hamid. Who am I? What am I doing here? And as usual, when they found out I was a tourist and not working for an NGO, the questions just increased. We met this grandfather and father and son, and they were walking to another village. And that's the only way you get around here. You, you have to walk. And uh, they said, come back, come back, come back to our village. And of course, this is through the, uh, through the translator Hamid. And so we decided this was the time to uh, have a go into a village, actually meet some people. And as we walked along, I just kept looking at these astonishing mountains around me. And they're just rows and rows of these magnificent mountains that just plunged into these sharp and steep ravines and rivers. There was not a tree to be seen. There was not a piece of green to be seen in this area. We eventually wandered through under the beautiful sun 
with more wind kicking up yet more dust, which needed again to be washed off that night. And we entered this village and there was a tree and there was a goat. And this is the first greenery I had seen in a long time. The village elder came out to introduce himself, all the women hid. The children were very unsure who is this man and they hid and they could see them peering out for windows. Windows, of course, that had no glass. They were just holes in the, in the wall. And they invited me in. And in Afghanistan, where the Wakis, you sit opposite the entrance and that is the most honored position. So I sat there with Hamid at my right. They brought out a silver colored bowl of water with a jug and they poured the water from the jug onto my hands so I could wash my hands. And then as I sat there, everyone heard there was a foreigner in their midst. And the room slowly filled with a dozen or so men. There's only 149 people live in this village. So a dozen men is, that's quite a proportion of the population. And they sat on their floor all around me and I squatted next to them. And then they brought me milky tea. It's the specialty of the Waki and flatbread. And they sat watching me eat. They split the bread up, they tear it up and put in front of me, which is the honored guest. And then they sat around me and they watched me eat. And then through Hamid, they asked me about where I was from. I'm from Australia. They asked me what I thought of Afghanistan. I said it was the most beautiful country I'd ever seen. After we had finished and it was just close to time to depart, the village elder said to me through Hamid, he said, I am sorry that I have nothing to offer you but tea and bread. And everyone here had a face of a hard life. Even the children look like adults. And I looked at these faces at me. These people who have hardly anything, yet they still managed to find some flatbread and some milky tea. And I smiled at them and I replied, and I said, the most important thing you could give me was a welcome and a smile. And you have done that. And when the translation was made to them, they stroked their beards mm, and they all hummed in affirmation and agreement with what I said. I found that the more that I traveled, that the people with the least possessions are the most generous. It taught me the value of appreciating everything that we have in life. Because here in this village of Kizkut were these people who appreciated the landscape they lived in, even though it was dry, barren and full of rocks. Here were people that appreciated the house they lived in, even though they had no electricity. And here were people who appreciated a foreigner walking into their village, even though they only had a little tea and a little bread to share. Thank you, Shane. That was amazing. <laughs> really, really good. You, you've done this before, haven't you? <laughs> yes, I do this before. I do a lot of public speaking. I've been public speaking for 25 years. And known as a storyteller, people know me as a storyteller. And it's actually why I sometimes speak on cruise ships and I tell my travel tales. So they put me on a cruise ship to tell my travel tales about where I've visited and 
experiences and lessons I've learned. And Afghanistan's a very popular story to tell and other places such as North Korea, Ethiopia, uh, an African safari, all these people just love because it's places and experiences most people wouldn't have. And they're interested, even though they wouldn't necessarily travel there, they're still interested in what it would be like to visit there. Um, in a lot of cases, I'm the first person I've ever met who've been to these places. <laughs> so it's a great opportunity to break some perceptions and, and give a, a human side to traveling mm. to the road less traveled. Very true. Well, I think they're putting the right person on the cruise ships. So hats off to them <laughs> for that. <laughs> now, I'm sure some people or a lot of people, myself included, would love to see some photos of those mountains you were talking about. You made them sound so majestic. Did you take any while you're out there? Because I know you do photography as well. Uh, the photos I have put on Google Plus, if you look for Shane Dallas or the Travel Camel on Google Plus, you'll find me. And a lot of my collections are there. A lot of my Af Afghanistan portraits there, including the man who said, I apologize for only having this. His photo's up there as well. Oh, brilliant. Well, I look forward to seeing them if you can dig them out. I really do. Um, so the place where you were at, do you said there's obviously back then, what year was it again that you went? 2013. 2013. Ah, right. So do, do more tourists go there nowadays or is it kind of pretty much the same vibe over there? Pretty much the same vibe. The, the year before, tourist numbers dropped because there was a dispute in the east of Tajikistan, believe it or not, uh, amongst the people who lived there and the government in Dushanbe. And the local people there actually closed the road to tourists. Mm. And so, therefore, the year before, which is 2012, in the guest house I stayed in in Sargaz, <laughs> asked how many people came through here last year, you know, how many tourists? He said, oh, about 40. <laughs> <laughs> so then, you know this is not a, a, a commonly travelled destination. There's only 40 people in a year. They were hoping for more because the dispute was open, which, of course, is why I got there. But I know people who go there. Every year I see someone posting on social media having gone to the same place I did. If I had have had more time and money because I was on my own, so it was very expensive, I would have gone further get to the end of the road, which is another half-day travel away by car, and after that, there are no roads, and the only way around is on camel, horses, or by foot. Travel camel on a camel. That You've got to have that on Instagram. You must do. Right. Oh, I've got, some, I've got some travel camel on camels. I, the first one I had was, I think, Syria in 2008, and then I've had a few camel experiences since then. But, yeah, there's a, there's a few photos of two camels. Uh, floating around social media. If you look for my the travel camel on social media, you'll see uh, a few photos of uh, me and a camel. I'm glad to hear it. So what do you do when you're faced with someone with an opinion of these places that, that isn't true and is based entirely on Western media? What, do, you, do you just tell them to go there and find out for themselves? Or, or how, do you, how do you handle that situation? Or do you handle it at all? Do you just brush it off, you know? Just depends. There was something on social media that someone put on Twitter and it was one of these top five lists, and I'm not fans of them at all. I think it's fairly cheap writing. Clickbait, yeah. It's just my, just, my, just my opinion. And it was the five most dangerous places on earth. And I went onto the link, and it said, Afghanistan, full of landmines, this, this, and this. And, I, <laughs> and so I thought, this is just incorrect. So I wrote back, and I said, hey, you know, last year I went to Afghanistan, no mines, no Taliban, where I was in the Wakhan, and I left it at that. <laughs> that's it i didn't have to say you're wrong i just said i was there yeah this is what i saw it is obvious from reading that article 
that the person who'd written it had never been to these places. It was mm. obvious. They had just pulled stuff off news sites, put together a little post and thought it looked a nice attention-grabbing headline. And the fact is, I'd been to two of the five countries. I can't rem- remember what the other one was now. Uh, it may have been Somalia and Somaliland, and I thought, this is just wrong. So, But normally I don't. Normally I just I just say, my personal story, I've been there. I didn't find that at all. I love that you're breaking down those um, information barriers. I love that. So where can people find you? Uh, the Travel Camel. If you do, actually, if you go onto Google and do Shane and Travel, put Shane and Travel, mm-hmm. unless something's changed in the last few days, put Shane and Travel, and I'll be the first hit. Nice. So you'll see me listed. You'll see all my social media and places like that listed. If you put the travel camel, you will find me. It's my Instagram and Twitter handle. Mm -hmm. It's also searchable through Facebook and also on Google Plus. So it's everywhere, the travel camel. But if you go to thetravelcamel.com, it's my website. It's not a big website. Uh, to me, all my work now is on social media. It's where I have the most influence and the most fun, actually. It's mm. uh, social media. It connects the world. People talk about social media being this impersonal thing, and it's not. It actually connects the world. And now I can go to places such as Germany and Netherlands or go on a trip to Canada for the first time, as I did last year. And all these people I know through TRLT, the Road Less Travel Chat, they're there. And suddenly we've got five of us sitting there. Never met any of them before. And it's because we know each other through social media so yeah just shane travel or the travel camel uh, dot com and through there's got all my social media links and you can find what i get up to there my speaking my photography my social media work just my passion for exploring places on the road less traveled fantastic i love it i'll also link up to everything in the show notes for the listeners cool so thanks again for that story and is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with Your experience when traveling depends on how you approach it. If you decide to travel and you look at the world through fearful and suspicious eyes, that is exactly how people will view you. But if you decide to travel and look at everyone you meet as a warm and welcoming person, then the whole world opens their arms and they will welcome you. Fantastic. I'm going to put that up in my room. (laughs) (laughs) that's great cool so thanks again for the story man thanks for the interview i think we've all learned a lot myself included it's been absolutely great so thanks again thank you thank you this has been fantastic yeah great fun good speaking to you man okay all right thanks very much okay see you later man bye-bye Thanks again to Shane for his story and thanks to you guys for joining us on his journey. Send me an email at Hayden at TravelStoriesPodcast.com. That's H-A-Y-D-E-N. I really do answer everything. Trevor has highlighted that. Thank you, Trev. If you enjoyed the show and you're on iTunes, please subscribe and review. It really, really does help us out. So thank you all you guys that have done it so far. Show notes for this episode can be found with the rest of them at TravelStoriesPodcast.com. And again, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm also on Twitter at Travel Stories UK. This episode's question from me to you is, what country have you been to where it was nothing like you thought it was going to be? And here's a little insider information that I'm sure you guys have noticed already, but what I say at the end of every episode always comes from a famous travel quote, and today's comes from Aldous Huxley, and it just fits the episode so well. So, thanks again. Join us next time for another immersive, inspiring, and international travel story. And remember, as Aldous Huxley says, to travel is to discover that everyone is wrong about other countries.